goes by the pseudonym Bo Snurdly. It's time for the Soul of Excellence. He is a radio host at 77 WABC here in New York. The Rush Hour is on the air. Rush, Rush. Now here's Bo Snurdly on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Ditto heads. Attention, Bo Scouts. Goes by the pseudonym Bo Snurdly. It's time for the Soul of Excellence. He is a radio host at 77 WABC here in New York. The Rush Hour is on the air. Rush, Rush. Now here's Bo Snurdly. Welcome, my friends, to Thursday's Bo Snurdly Rush Hour. If you want to be part of the program today, 800 848 WABC is. The number to call, 800-848-9222. We will have, or we're scheduled to have later on this uh, program, this this half hour, or actually midway through the show, Michael Bakesha. If you were with us yesterday... You heard segments from Donald Trump's speech at Bedminster, where he talked about the case, the Clinton's socks drawer case, and the Presidential Records Act. Mr. Basheka was the one who argued that case unsuccessfully, and he will explain to us the significance of it. Uh, good news for those of you who have been planning long distance, your long distance railroad trip. And I look, I enjoy riding on the trains. Many of you, well, I, I, I in, enjoy it in theory. You have to admit that, that some of the trains in this country are, you know, a little bit kind of past their prime, like maybe 40 years past their prime in some cases. But long-distance train travel is wonderful. And I did not know until right before the show started when I was advised by IA that there was a new train line that was being a new, yes, we have an artificial intelligence program, and we've been using it lately. Hello. Thank you, IA. And the artificial intelligence program told me that there is a new train line that will be beat. It is a first in the world. It is a transoceanic. A tra- yes, you heard me right. Diego just looked at me like, what did I just hear? Yes, it is a transoceanic train line. This will undoubtedly be the longest train trip that you will ever be able to take in your life. Joe Biden announced it during a speech. He had a dinner speech at the uh, League of Conservation Voters. And 
President Biden said, this is a quote, we have plans to build a railroad from the Pacific all the way to across the Indian Ocean. So this will be the train ride of your life. Apparently, the train beginning stop will be somewhere on the West Coast at the Pacific Ocean. This train will carry passengers across the United States, and then the train will go into or above the Atlantic Ocean, continue along the Atlantic Ocean until it gets to the Indian Ocean, according to Joe Biden. So you will be able to travel by train from California, from the Pacific Ocean, across to the Indian Ocean. That is the quote. Yes, that's the quote. We have plans to build a railroad from the Pacific all the way to across the Indian Ocean. Los Angeles to Madagascar. Thank you, AI. AI, do you know how much this is going to cost per ticket? How much should we expect to pay if I wanted to board in Los Angeles and then stay on Joe Biden's trans-oceanic train till I get to uh, Madagascar? Error. Error. What do you mean, error? There's got to be a cost to this. Oh, well. Now, speaking of trains, speaking of trains, Pete Buttigieg is back in the news. Our our transportation secretary. Now, I am so glad that I fact-check stuff before I come on the air because I would have made an egregious error. Egregious error. Somebody on my staff, and I won't say who, I will spare that person embarrassment. A few weeks back showed me a picture of Pete Buttigieg. Pete Buttigieg in this picture was breastfeeding his infant with the help of a device. I was going to make a comment about that in combination with the story that is in the news today about Pete Buttigieg, but I said, you know what? I better check and make sure that that story... It turns out that is a deep fake photo. It never happened. Pete Buttigieg was not breastfeeding he and Chasen. Pete and his husband, Chasen, were not breastfeeding their babies, at least not Well, enough said. Anyway, Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg, you'll find this story to Daily Beast today. While claimed linking a bill by the Republican House lawmakers to protect the integrity of girls and women's sports by restricting biological males from competition, he compared that to a lack of money for roads. And listen to how he said it. He said... Nothing is safe. I, listen, please listen very carefully to what your transportation secretary said. He said, nothing is safe. That's the first place to start. 
Nothing is safe, especially right now. When you have one side that has a maximalist commitment to tearing down every norm and law they don't like. I can't believe that this guy couldn't even hear himself look in the mirror. Look in the mirror before he said that there's one side, meaning Republicans, that are intent on tearing down every law and every norm in society that they don't like. But he said it. He says, so where does that put us? And by the way, why is it happening? It's th- I think it's happening because there are some people who find it easier to pick on really vulnerable young people than try to explain why they voted no on money for roads and bridges. I mean, this is just... Okay, Republicans want to pick on really, really young, vulnerable people. Like boys who claim to be girls and then get in girls' sports and deprive girls of the opportunity to win trophies, etc., and scholarship money. And in some cases, maybe to pursue their careers in sports. But they do that because they don't want to explain to people why they're not spending money on bridges and roads, even though we're spending more money. We're spending money we don't have on roads and bridges. This is just what his other comment. When you have one side trying to tear down every norm and law, who has been tearing down the norms in American society? Who? has been tearing down every law that they don't like. Everything that was normal, it's not just in American society. Everything that, everything that has been deemed normal since humankind emerged is being torn down by liberals like Pete Buttigieg and his party. It's amazing. Now, I want you to listen to something. We have our own issues, of course, in New York with safety and with laws and with drugs. In fact, today, right before the show, Alvin Bragg's office made it clear that, yes, they are indicting over the Neely case. Yes, they are. He confirmed it. San Francisco is beyond a train wreck. You seriously have so many major retailers pulling out. You have the drug overdoses are overwhelming. The safety issue has been overwhelming, and it has been deteriorating for years and getting worse and worse. Well... San Francisco Mayor London Breed got into it with one of her own Democrat socialists on the Board of Supervisors. And I want you to hear how this went. Because 
What she's done is she's saying, look, enough, enough. We have to start arresting some of these people that are out here committing crimes. And this Democrat socialist, who happens to be a white guy, starts giving her pushback. So I want you to listen to this exchange from San Francisco Democrat Party Mayor London Breed and Supervisor Dean Preston all about how arresting Breed, London Breed has dared. We're going to start arresting some of these criminals. This is how it went. Over the last week, our police and sheriff have worked in coordination to make arrests for those who are posing a danger to themselves or others and who are disrupting our neighborhoods. As of yesterday, 38 people have been arrested or cited under this effort. Some say what we are doing is very controversial, but if it was happening in front of your home, would you feel like it's controversial? If your kids had to walk through this, if your family members had to deal with this every single day, if it was happening outside of your business, would you feel that it's controversial? No. It would feel necessary and urgent, yes. and it is. Uh, to be clear, oh, the city's overdose prevention plan, as I mentioned, written by DPH and endorsed by uh-huh. you, specifically noted that, quote, black, brown, and indigenous communities nationwide have long been impacted by and continue to be impacted by the racism and criminalization that have been the hallmark of federal U.S. drug policy for the past several decades. Will you follow your own Department of Public Health's advice and end punitive policies specifically arresting and incarcerating drug users that increase fatal overdoses, or will you ramp up these strategies, ignoring the advice of public health experts and causing even more overdose deaths? Here we go. Mayor Breed. Here we go. Another white man who's talking about black and brown people as if you're the savior of those people and you speak for them. I have a sister that I lost to a drug overdose in the city. I have friends and family members who have been lost in the tenderloin with no aggressive action, no changes to policies. Have you ever spent time talking to any of those same black and brown people who are uh, addicted to drugs on our streets in San Francisco to understand their challenges and what they need and what we need to do as a city to turn their lives around. That is the focus of what I plan to do, regardless of what you read or what you see in a particular report, which is a overall view of what's happening. The fact is, it's not just services. It's also force. I'm going to continue to make sure that we are providing treatment, providing compassionate care. But at the end of the day, when we need to make arrests because someone's breaking the law and need to be held accountable and can potentially be forced into treatment of services, I'm going to do so. Well, damn. So let me just translate that really quickly and just put it in because, you know, politicians blather on when they could get to the point really quickly. Mayor says, look, we're kind of fed up. We got all these druggies. We got all these lawbreakers hanging around businesses, hanging around people's homes, doing their drugs, committing their crimes. We're finally, we're we're tired of this business. We're going to stop this business of not arresting the criminals. All right? That's what she said. The, The white liberal social, and I hate that she had to bring in the color, but she did. So he says, listen. This is the translation. We all know 
we all know that all of you people committing the crimes here in San Francisco are black and brown. We know that. And so we passed laws so that we couldn't arrest black and brown people committing crimes. How dare you say that you're going to arrest these people that are committing crimes? They're black and they're brown. And the only reason they're committing crimes is because of racist society. And this was the payoff. Then the mayor says, listen, honky, I'm tired. Are you telling me what black people and brown people need? You ain't black. I've, I've lost people. I'm black. Stop preaching to me about what black people need. We're going to arrest the criminals. Listen, honky. We're tired. We're tired of having these criminals around our businesses, around the homes, and nobody's arresting them because they're black and because they're brown. We are going to start. It may be late. It may be well overdue. But we're going to start the lonely process right here of arresting criminals. Some of them may be black. Some of them may be brown. But they're going down. They're going down. We're going to arrest them. And listen, honky, stop telling me what black people need. You ain't black. And that, my friends, was the translation of that nice little clip that you just heard. San Francisco. <laughs> Can you believe that we're actually arguing about this stuff? In America. <sighs> WABC Talk Radio 77. We're going to talk Trump and the indictment, but there's other news. 800-848-WABC. Coming back. Your call is a part of the program. 800-848-WABC. Don't go away. Good. Don't go anywhere. At least don't go on a train from the Pacific to the Indian Ocean. Stay with us. Is on the air. Attention, Ditto Heads. Attention, Bo Scouts. Rush. On the Red Apple Podcast Network. Yeah. Check that. Babyface. On WABC Talk Radio 77. For the lover in you. So we played Anita Baker going in. This is Babyface. Apparently, there are problems. Yeah. Looks like Anita Baker is on tour. Turn it up. God sent me to heal it on a mission. Touch you with precision. Just undress love. 
Put a rock in your hand. I always love that. That is one of the most romantic things that I've ever heard on that song. I'm going to throw a rock up on your hand. He's going to engage to her. I'm going to throw a rock up on your hand. Yeah. How'd you like to be that woman? Yeah. Well, my boyfriend threw a rock up on my hand last night. Ah, great. Let's celebrate. Anyway, Anita and uh, Babyface have gotten into it. They were on tour together. It's the some odd anniversary, I think 40th anniversary of the songstress, Anita Baker's monumental album. And she and Babyface were on tour together. Babyface was opening for her. Now, something happened. I'm still trying to get my arms around exactly what happened on the tour. But anyway, Anita Baker went on Twitter today, pretty much said she threw Babyface off the tour. She's going to she's gonna just tour alone. Never mind you. She said Babyface fans were picking on her. They were mean to her on social media. They were behaving badly. So all of you, go yourselves. I'm going out alone. Babyface, stay home. I like Babyface a lot. I love Anita Baker a lot. I'm so and Babyface was gracious. He's still wishing her the very best on the tour. But apparently that's that Babyface Anita Baker tour is now just going to be Anita Baker. Unbelievable. Have you heard what's going on with the Space Force? Yes, we will talk Trump indictment. We'll do it in a very few minutes. But have you heard what's going on with the Space Force? Okay. A high-ranking United States Space Force officer, Lieutenant General Deanna Burt, Deputy Chief of Space Operations, is railing against what she calls anti-LGBTQ laws. She says that transformational cultural cultural change requires leadership from the top, and we don't have time to wait. Since January of this year, she says more than 400 anti-LGBTQ plus laws have been introduced at the state level. The number is rising and demonstrates a trend that could be dangerous for service members, their families, and for the readiness of the Space Force as a whole. And she says that sometimes when she's weighing promotions, she takes the person's LGBTQ status into, and if she thinks they're going to be put in danger by these Republican laws out there, I'm paraphrasing her remarks, that she will avoid sending them to places where they might meet hostility. Think about, like, you know, the red states. And instead, she'll put in a lesser qualified person. This is so egregious on so many levels. First of all, what happened to the notion that these military people, especially officers, are not supposed to be getting involved in domestic politics at all? At all. They're supposed to keep their mouths shut about politics. But yet, here she is, and using her position in the Space Force as a partisan advocate. And then saying that she uses her position in accordance with her LGBTQ principles rather than for what's in the best interest of the military. 
I don't understand how this Lieutenant General Deanna Burt still has a job, but this is the Biden administration, and she still has a job. Now, thankfully, the Space Force is, well, put it like this, the Space Force right now isn't the first line of defense. But it doesn't make a difference. Her remarks should disqualify her immediately from any leadership job in our armed forces. James Golden, a.k.a. Bo Snurley, Bo Snurley's Rush Hour. When we come back, a little bit on the Trump and Yes, we are taking your calls. 800-848-WABC is the number. We're going to talk about the Presidential Records Act, though, when we get back. It's the Rush Hour with Bo Snurdly on the Red Apple Podcast Network. The year was 1973. Motown Records releases... Marvin Gaye, let's get it on. Now, Marvin Gaye is, was, by the time this album, this record and album came out, already a legend. This was the album that came after the What's Going On album. But this song became... Marvin Gaye's most successful single ever. On the line with us, we have the senior attorney, one of the senior attorneys for Judicial Watch, Michael Bacasher. Michael, have I pronounced your last name right? You have. Thank you so much, Michael. I am so delighted and honored that you would take some time with us. I read your article in the Wall Street, your op-ed in the Wall Street Journal yesterday, and it blew me away. You stated from the very beginning of the article, and this was in response to the indictment of Donald Trump, your opening sentence said, this should never have happened. Can you tell us why? Can you tell us the relevance of Clinton's sock drawer which Donald Trump mentioned in his speech from Bedminster. Yeah, thanks for having me on. It, um, you know, this all this all starts when I lost a case, and you know, I seem to be talking a lot about a loss these days, which no one wants to do. But it's extremely interesting because back in 2010 through 2012, uh, Judicial Watch came to find out that. Uh, President Clinton, when he was in office, created a lot of audio tapes of him being president, talking to foreign leaders, talking to members of Congress, talking about policy. And while he was in office, he kept those tapes in his stock drawer. And then when he left office, he took it with him. He didn't turn them over to archives. 
Um, in fact, he purposely kept them in the sock drawer because with all the subpoenas being flown around, thrown around uh, during the 90s, he was he was concerned uh, that somebody may get a hold of that. And so he took the tapes with him and we found out about it when a historian, Taylor Branch, wrote a book all about it. And uh, we thought, wait a second, those should be presidential records. The American public should have access to them. The Judicial Watch sent a request to the archives asking for the records, asking for the tapes. Archives said no. So being Judicial Watch, we sued. We sued the federal government asking that they declare the records to the tapes to be presidential records and try to recover them from President Clinton. Um, The Justice Department said no way. Their argument, whatever the president designates as personal and takes with him are personal records, and there's nothing we can do about it. The Justice Department also at the time argued they don't have a duty to continuously and endlessly search for records that may be potential records. And then they said they had no ability, no authority to forcibly take any records from a former president. The federal court here in D.C. agreed with them, and um, I lost what is now known as the Clinton sock drawer case. Um, Fast forward to today, or at least a year ago, and archives seem to be concerned that President Trump took records with him when he left office. Um, You know, our position, my position in the op-ed is if President Trump put things in boxes, thought they were his personal records, took them with him when he left office. There's nothing archives could do anything about it. And so this all began on this false premise that the government had authority and a duty to go find any records at Mar-a-Lago that they wanted. It, they wouldn't do it with President Clinton, so why are they doing it now? So to be clear, and not that you weren't clear, you have been very clear. But the National Archives does not have the power or the law on their side to tell any president of the United States these records are records that belong to us, the bureaucrats here at the National Archive, and you can't have them. That's pretty much the bottom does that also apply, apply to classified? Is it any? Is it any document that the president says this is? I'm keeping this as a personal record. Is that unilateral? Is there any exception to it? How does this work? Yeah, it doesn't seem as though there is any exception to it. Uh, the federal court here in D.C. was pretty clear that said any record designated and taken by the president. Is a is a personal record, and there's nothing that the Justice Department can can do about it. And the reason it's you know it sounds odd, right? It sounds strange. How could a classified record be a personal property of the President of the United States? Well, the Constitution gives great authority to the President as Commander in Chief because of our separation of powers. Congress can't really dictate or require the president to do anything or for laws to really apply to the president. And so 
Um, the Presidential Records Act, although it seems to suggest there may be definitions for what's a personal record and what's a presidential record, it's just guidance. But in the end, it's up to the president of the United States to decide what the records are and what he's going to do with them. Wow. Now, let me ask you a question about this. President Trump, in his speech, said that in this entire document, this indictment, the Presidential Records Act was never cited once. How could that be? Is the DOJ completely overlooking what the president legally is entitled to do in order to bring this indictment? I I think the Justice Department knows that under the Presidential Records Act, um, President Trump didn't do anything wrong. And so they're silent on how this all began and how the focus at first was on the Presidential Records Act, and they only focus on those other laws and other charges that they brought. But the problem I have with that, and the problem that I raise in uh, in the op-ed, is if you look at the second paragraph of the indictment, it says, while Trump was president during his presidency, he decided what was going into boxes, you know, newspaper clippings, photographs, calendars, journal entries, um, other documents, you know, he put things in boxes. And then the fourth paragraph says, when he was leaving office, he decided what boxes to take. And so that sounds to me very much what he was supposed to do and what he was authorized and allowed to do under the Presidential Records Act. And so where is the crime? How can how can they can how did they you know get this search warrant start this process of asking Donald Trump for records back and claim he didn't comply with the request when he was just following the law as the Justice Department described it in 2010 and as a federal judge ruled in 2012? This is going to hit some people over the head today. There are. Other op-ed pieces, Carl Rove uh, wrote one. Uh, 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 his former attorney general, Bill Barr, is out saying that he's really got himself in a deep mess here and, and a very caustic, um, there's a very caustic article about this. And yet no one seems to point out the facts that you've pointed out, that this seems to be black and white law spelled out. It is the president who makes these decisions. It is not the National Archives. It is not the Department of Justice. Do you expect, how do you expect, if the law is followed, this case to proceed from here? You know, that, that's a million-dollar question, right? I mean, the legal process is slow and complicated, and there's going to be a lot of motions by President Trump's lawyers in front of the judge to try and get this thrown out. They may succeed partly or entirely. Um, But in the end, this case may get before a jury. And when it gets before a jury, the Justice Department is going to have the burden to prove that Donald Trump willfully took records that he knew he wasn't supposed to take and maintain those records. And I think that's going to be a very difficult case to make 
with the Presidential Records Act and his authority under the Constitution, it's going to be a tough case to make. And when that happens, um, you know, it's going to be to be interesting and fascinating to follow. Michael, as the time draws where we're in the case, I would like to have you back. I'd like to have your thoughts on this as we proceed down this historic path. Nothing like this in the country has ever happened before. And I think you've brought clarity to a lot of people. And uh, so, again, thank you for writing that op-ed. Thank you for spending time with us this afternoon. And I hope you'll come back. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. Ladies and gentlemen, you heard it here. And everything that you have heard up till now, put it in the context of what you just heard. President Trump said this, but a lot of re- a lot of television stations like PMS, NBC, CNN refused to carry that address. And if you looked for newspaper coverage of it, it wasn't there as normal. Now you're getting part of the other side of the story that many Americans are not getting. And you're getting it right here on Boston Early's Rush Hour. We're coming back. Your call's coming up. Don't go away. This is The Rush Hour with Bose Nerdly on the Red Apple Podcast Network. WABC Talk Radio 77. I'm in heaven. Louis Armstrong. This is from an album that Louis Armstrong did with one of America's incredible women of song. The, the late, the great, the only, the one and only. When we out together, dance cheek to cheek. Here's heaven. Where's Ella? I'm in heaven. Ella Fitzgerald. And the kids that hung around me. Today, 1996, Ella Fitzgerald. See? Died in Beverly Hills, California, age 79. At the time of her death, Ella Fitzgerald was blind. The effects of diabetes. Let's get some Ella. Okay, Ella had both her legs amputated in 1993. She was the win- winner of 13, 13 Grammys. Ella sang the Cole Porter songbook. There she is. One of the first of eight songbook records that she sang. Now, I had forgotten all about this. She appeared in the TV commercial for Memorex. Do you remember even Memorex? You guys, kids, you don't even know what Memorex is, right? Memorex was a cassette tape. And what they used, they did a promotion 
where Ella Fitzgerald sang a note so high that it shattered a glass. They recorded it. And then they played the cassette tape back. And again, it shattered the glass. And so their slogan, Is It Live or Is It Memorex? Featured this beautiful woman, Ella Fitzgerald, on WABC. Let's get to the phone, shall we? Let's go to John in Bernardsville. John, how are you? Welcome. You're on WABC. Hey, Bo. It's an honor. Thank you. Uh, yeah, I was just uh, reminiscing when I heard you do the uh, the translation of the London Breed. Reminded me oh, yes. of the Obama official Obama criticizer, and uh, that was just brilliant when you used to do that uh, way back when. <laughs> oh yes, course, on the Rush Show, I used to do. Yes, I was the official yeah. Obama the Obama criticizer back in the day. Thank you, John. I really appreciate that so much. Appreciate it. Jason in Oklahoma City, welcome. You're on yes. WABC. Thank you, Bo. Uh, I want to say you're, that gentleman you were speaking to before about the um, um, top security clearance papers, uh, President Trump was 100% right, and it makes a lot of common sense. When you go to store your personal things in the storage, they just watching it for you, protecting it. As the president, he has the right for whatever he wants to take. Uh, now, when those are all uh, uh, what you call uh, antique uh, already, because all the top secret information has already been out there for a while, because he's been president for four years. So he could have made just copies. Why don't they ask for President Biden's? copies of his well now the biden case by the way there is a case you wouldn't know about it has been underway for six months with nothing now on classified documents the difference being joe biden was never president as michael bakesha said the law is clear there is no vice president records act there is the presidential records act and donald trump was acting within his capacity and within the law, and this is the guy who lost the case that Judicial Watch had bought. So this doesn't come off of an opinion that's based on nothing. This was argued before a federal judge. And again, what Michael Bakesha said, clearly the president has unilateral authority to decide which records he will take with them. I specifically asked about classified documents in that as well, because some people are saying, well, it doesn't pertain to classified documents. Michael said, that's not so. It's any document. So we'll see where this goes. Alice in Orangeburg, New York, how are you? Hey, Bob, love you, love your show. I have a Question. Thank the you. Marine with second-degree murder manslaughter charges, if he's convicted, what will happen with the New York State Good Samaritan laws? Because most of the firefighters, EMS, and fire rescues in the state of New York and most other states are covered by this law. So that means nobody gets covered by this law and we all stop doing this? I don't know what will happen. I think there will be unintended consequences. 
But I think one thing becomes really clear, that people that want to intercede to help other people on the subways or in other instances where they are being threatened and there are no police officers around will actually question whether that's the wisest thing that they can do. And that will have a detrimental effect on society. This is a sham. Alvin Bragg should have never even brought this case before, in my humble opinion, before a grand jury. But you have a bunch of political opponents demanding. Why? Well, we all know why. Because white guy, black guy, the narrative, that's why. That's it for the day, my friends. May God bless and protect each and every single one of you and your family and loved ones. God willing, we will be back tomorrow for Boston Nervous Rush Hour, the Friday edition. Thank you, love, gratitude for your being here. See you then. Bye. Bye.